chapter sixteen of australia new zealand and some other islands of the south seas by frank g carpenter this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by betty b a white workers continent the workers continent and for white men only that is how these people speak of australia they have tried to make it the paradise of the laborer and are determined to keep out all members of the colored races black brown or yellow who might wish to share it with them all sorts of schemes have been devised for the benefit of the wage workers most of them intended as far as i can see to help them sell the least work for the most money australia is the land of the labor union no other country is so thoroughly unionized and nowhere else does organized labor go so far toward running both the government and business there are unions of sheep shearers and factory workers unions of rabbit trappers and harness makers there are unions for occupations i hardly knew existed six hundred thousand people or one out of every nine of the population belong to labor unions of one kind or another this continent is also the home of the eight-hour day it was established in australia and new zealand long before workers in other countries even began to demand it australians are so proud of this fact that they have put up a monument to remind posterity how its workday was shortened i have seen most of the great monuments of the world i have lived in the shadow of our own huge shaft in honor of george washington climbed the pyramid of cheops in egypt and beheld the splendor of the taj mahal in india but never before have i seen anything like this monument in melbourne commemorating a victory for labor in its centuries of struggle with capital it would never be noticed for its size or beauty for it is merely a simple shaft of stone its significance comes from the three huge figure eights at its top these represent the slogan of australian workmen of more than a generation ago eight hours work eight hours play and eight hours rest the three eights monument as it is called gives the key to the story of the hours of labor in australia today and the spirit which still seems to rule the people the agitation for the shorter working day began in australia nearly seventy years ago shortly after the gold fever first struck the country many of those who had come out to make their fortunes in nuggets found only disappointment and had to look for other work most of these men drifted to melbourne and sydney where they soon organized trade unions like those to which they had belonged in england the workers in the building trades in new south wales were the first to get their eight-hour day in a comparatively short time it was generally adopted in all the states and now forty-eight hours is the recognized maximum for a week's work throughout australia although in some trades forty-four forty-two and even thirty-six hours are considered full-time recently there was a move in the federal parliament to legislate a forty-four hour week throughout the commonwealth but the members of the labor party were not quite strong enough to carry the measure the forty-four hour week now generally prevails in queensland where the labor party is firmly in the saddle and rides all kinds of socialistic hobbies the rallying cry is cheap bread cheap beef and high wages in the attempt to realize the first two of these ideals the state runs twenty-two cattle ranches and fifty butcher shops it catches fish and sells them at retail operates a meat-packing plant and has a big produce business selling direct to the consumer 
without the intervention of the middleman it even runs a hotel of its own wages and hours are regulated by the government which also owns and operates the railroads the sawmills and the mines there is a government savings bank with deposits of seventy millions of dollars from a population of seven hundred thousand the state competes with private insurance companies and has lowered rates by twenty five per cent when the labor unions began their campaign for shorter hours workers in the gold fields were making such big pay that the general wage level was high and the men were then satisfied with their earnings later the original slogan was enlarged until the four sacred eights of australian labor were eight hours of work eight hours of play eight hours of rest and eight bob a day but after a while eight shillings or two dollars did not look so fair to the workers as the living wage and so they began to go after that how well they have succeeded may be gathered from the definition of a living wage as laid down by the new south wales court of industrial arbitration it reads the living wage is standardized as the wage which still does neither more nor less than enable a worker of the class to which the lowest wage would be awarded to maintain himself his wife and two children the average dependent family in a house of three rooms and a kitchen with food plain and inexpensive but quite sufficient in quantity and quality to maintain health and efficiency and with allowance for the following other expenses fuel clothes boots furniture utensils taxes life insurance savings accident or benefit society loss of employment union contributions books and newspapers train and tram fares sewing machine mangle school requisites amusements and holiday intoxicating liquors tobacco sickness and death domestic help unusual contingencies religion or charity it is such a standard of living that the australian labor unions are determined to maintain for the workers so far they have been able not only to enforce most of their demands but to have many of them written into the laws factories shops and stores are subject to all sorts of restrictions and seem to be run quite as much in the interests of the workers in them as for their owners each union has rigid rules and regulations governing the employment of its members and generally they are upheld by the state courts for the arbitration of industrial disputes in new south wales for example the law gives preference to union men in employment in one instance an employer wanted a workman two men applied one a unionist but the employer chose the non-union man believing him more competent for the job for this the arbitration court fined him ten dollars and he had to pay costs of as much more the judge informed him that the court and not the employer must decide as to the competency of employees in another case some dock workers had made demands which a steamship company would not meet the men did not strike but just when their work was most urgently needed went on a picnic to avoid such interruptions the company proposed to pay men to work by the week instead of by the day and offered a fair weekly wage the unionists refused to accept these terms whereupon the company employed non-union men and the case went to the arbitration court the judges ruled that the union members must be reinstated and that the company had to discharge the men it had hired to take their places at sydney the union of dock workers is so strong 
that no steamship company dares employ a non-union man but once the war fingers as they are called went a step too far in order to create a shortage of workers and forced up wages they stopped taking in new members the ship owners had the union brought before the arbitration court which decided that although the dockmen might keep non-union men off the sydney wharves they must keep their books open to receive new members one more case an oil company employed six lads under twenty-one to tighten up the hoops on some casks the cooper's union took the matter to the arbitration court which upheld the men and declared this simple hammering was cooperage the company was fined and had to discharge the use and employ coopers at fifteen dollars a week to do boys job i am told that decisions of this sort and the laws behind them have bred bad feeling between wage earners and the men for whom they work a man of means is distrusted by the working classes not because they may envy him his wealth but because he is an employer the capitalist class has little sympathy for the workers while the employed have a strong antagonism for the employer and so the australians are a divided people but there is one subject on which all australia is agreed and that is that the continent shall be kept exclusively a white man's country the workers and their unions are to a large degree responsible for this policy of a white australia but no party opposes it the men in power say that australia has learned her lesson in time and that she will never let in cheap labor from china japan and the surrounding islands which would lower wages and the standard of living north and west of the continent are seven hundred millions of orientals who would be glad to get out of their crowded countries into this thinly settled land of promise besides all the australians are proud of their british blood they wish to keep it without a taint of color and seem to be willing to pay the price in a smaller population and smaller development still there are some australians who doubt the advisability of asiatic exclusion is it possible they ask for a population of five and a half millions to hold this vast area until it is filled up with white people australia has less than two persons to the square mile as compared with thirty-five in the united states and three hundred and fifty-one in the united kingdom the commonwealth is less thickly populated than siberia south africa or even arabia moreover most of her people are concentrated along the east south and southwest coasts which contain about eighty per cent of the population and there is a strong tendency toward concentration in the cities nearly one-fifth of the white inhabitants live in sydney and forty-two per cent are in the six capitals yet australia is a land of raw materials her fields farms and mines need development and this development calls for many people there are hardly any white men in the tropics of queensland and the northern territory where rich crops of cotton sugar-cane tobacco and fruits might be produced some of the capitalists say that because of the climate these regions will never be developed until colored labor is admitted to work them but most australians feel it is better to delay indefinitely making money out of the tropical lands than to allow northern australia to be open to swarms of asiatics they point to the negro problem in our own south as an example of what would happen if the bars were let down and predict that conditions would eventually become much worse than any we have in the united states they prefer to depend on selected white immigration 
chiefly from great britain and also on their favorable birth rate the births now average twenty four point six per thousand of population while the death rate is only ten point eight so that australia enjoys a natural rate of increase of thirteen point two per thousand some of the labor bodies go so far as to oppose even white immigration clinging obstinately to the theory that there is only so much work to be done in australia and that if more people are admitted there will not be enough jobs to go round exclusion of the colored races is accomplished quite simply immigration officers are given the authority to compel each would-be immigrant to write fifty words in any language the officials choose like our own chinese immigration laws this provision is intended to exclude laborers and artisans it is not meant to keep out travelers students or merchants the australian leaders emphatically deny that their policy is founded on race prejudice or persecution they declare it is merely a defensive measure to prevent an intolerable lowering of the standard of living i had a talk with one of the parliamentary leaders in victoria about working conditions and the australian standard of living he said to me i know it is commonly believed that we have an eight-hour law down here in australia the fact is that an absolute eight-hour law would not suit us so well as our forty-eight hour per week law many of our trades have such conditions that they cannot be restricted to a fixed time and some days a man must work more than eight hours and sometimes less take the bakers they set their sponge and if the dough rises they can get through their work in less than eight hours but if not it takes them nine or perhaps longer what we have is a fixed time per week and an extra rate for all overtime in new south wales the forty-four hour week prevails in many important industries in certain unhealthful trades such as rock chopping sewer mining stone masonry and underground mining of metals the hours may be even shorter is there not a large force in the government employ i ask yes was the answer in new south wales the railroads the street cars and the wharves are under the state government the state has also its employees for education police health justice state lands public works and other such activities besides it operates timber yards dockyards brick and pipe works stone quarries and hydroelectric plants moreover the commonwealth government has its employees in the postal telegraph telephone and other national services how many state and federal employees have you here in new south wales i asked i was surprised at the answer which was more than ninety nine thousand and what is your population a little more than two million well said i let us figure it divide your two million by ninety nine thousand and you will find that practically one in every twenty persons works for the state if we had a proportionate number of government employees in the united states with our population of one hundred and ten millions there would be five million government officials which at the low average of a thousand dollars per annum would cost us at least five billion dollars a year our congress would never stand for such a condition as far as i can see the working men live very well few of them have hollows in their cheeks or wrinkles in their stomachs a few years ago some statistician calculated the value of the food consumed by workers in different countries and according to his figures an australian has better food and more of it than the average american wage earner the people are great meat eaters the meat is good too 
i have never found better mutton anywhere and the beef is as fat and as juicy as the best cuts from chicago like the british these australians drink an astonishing quantity of tea every man woman and child has a cup every afternoon and likely as not another cup or so later in the evening tea is provided without extra charge at hotels and at railroad stations it is served at the same tables as beer and whiskey the tea is always drunk with milk and sugar and every person takes four lumps End of chapter 16